Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 285. In this episode, we talk about HubSpot form options, the over-reliance on paid channels, the custom report builder, and also using the prospects tool. You're listening to the number one HubSpot-focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks and strategies for growing your sales, service marketing, and operations results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm well, Ian. Good to be back for another episode. So, let's get started. What is the growth thought of the week, Craig? All right. So, I wanted to start by saying, how do you connect? And this is really, what channels do you use? And I thought I would share a personal kind of approach to the channels that are open to me, and then I'll explain why I think this is important, because I think I'm an old school kind of person when it comes to the channel. So really, I've reduced all my connection points. I'm hardly on social at all these days. And in fact, the the best way to connect with me is email, probably followed by Twitter, SMS if uh, we know each other, but then YouTube is a big influence on my life. So I'm not on Facebook. Well, I I probably have an account because we do paid ads and stuff like that, but I'm not on Facebook. I'm hardly ever on LinkedIn. And by the way, sorry to listeners, if you're engaging with me on LinkedIn, I used to have one of my team manage it. I don't even bother now. It's just not for me. I know you're big on LinkedIn though, Ian. Yes. So that's a great way to connect with you. Instagram, all these other channels, I'm not there and I hardly ever answer my phone if I don't recognize the number, right? Why am I telling you all of this? Because you might think, who cares <laughs> what channels you're on, Craig? You know when people go on Facebook to tell everyone that they're leaving Facebook? Apparently Correct. they used to do that. It's like, who cares? No one cares, right? Here's why it's important. Because I'm a business owner, as you are, Ian, as are millions of people around the world, each year I spend a fair bit of money, a reasonably healthy budget on tools. So when I look in zero at our spend, it's annually, it's in the order of $100,000 that we spend on tools. You know, HubSpot, SEMrush, Ahrefs, Teamwork, Google Suite, Slack, like all of these tools, that's quite a lot of money to spend, right? And I'm always looking for new tools that can help automate parts of the business. Our team know that we kind of just have a standing approach that if there's a tool that can replace some of the stuff that we do, we'll get a tool. Okay, so let's put those two things together. I'm old school in the channels that I use, and yet I've got a reasonable budget that I look after for our company. I'm actually an ideal customer profile for a number of software vendors. And so then the question to them is, well, how should they contact me? How do they get in touch with me? Because if they're only using channels, the latest social channels or new techniques, then they're not going to reach me. And I suspect I'm not unique. I suspect a lot of people are similar to me as we've proactively tried to reduce distractions that we're faced with and direct our attention just to a few channels. I think that is a bit of a trend amongst people. We're trying to be less distracted. So I think people are only going to become more reductionist in the channels that they're open to. So this is going to grow. So then I was thinking through, well, how did I make purchase decisions? I'd be interested if you've had similar experience. I know we have in some that we cross over. But if I think uh, of awareness, Twitter is by far the biggest influence on me. I follow a, a reasonably small number of people on Twitter and I'm often exposed to apps or SaaS tools on Twitter. So by the way, this is not ads on Twitter. This is people I follow mentioning them. So uh, endorsements from people I trust. Second consideration, I spend so much time on YouTube now, often looking at tools or equipment or things, and then I follow that by the knowledge base articles on the website of those toolmakers. 
And then decision is very much around emails that I receive and whether I can create a demo or a trial account and use the tool. So that's my flow. And I was thinking when I looked at this, I was like, well, I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on these other things. I'm not getting retargeted probably on Google. I might do some Google search. But funnily enough, it's not big on how I actually find things. I often go to YouTube, which I guess is the world's second biggest search engine, as we all know. And that's how I get my input. And so then the question, or I guess the obvious points that I wanted to pull out of this is that's the way I do it. Is that the way most marketers think and approach? Because if it's not, they're missing out on business like me. But here's the final point, which is to myself, I'm preaching to myself here. There's a trap that we fall into in thinking that our own behaviors are the norm for our audience. And it's not. So I have to remind myself, for example, that the way I do things is probably not how most people do. It is how some people do. But then it's almost a valid approach to make a list of how you get input and then use it to get all the opposites and go and test all the opposites. So work out how you do it, but then test the opposite. And then we can avoid availability bias and confirmation bias and things like that. Just going back a step, if we think about some of the tools that we've, and I know you've come across this before, that if we look at some of the tools, in fact, even the tool we're using to record the YouTube video here, Riverside, we found out about that, I think, on YouTube, looking at a video about how to improve your video. So no surprises there. StreamYard, I think we got from a podcast or a vidcast. VidIQ, which you're using, that came from... That's right. Again, it started probably on YouTube as an influence there for you, maybe others. But I guess the summary of all of this is how do you connect and is that how other people connect? Because there might be mismatches and you're not using those to your advantage in your marketing and sales activities. Does this resonate with you, Ian? Absolutely, Craig. And I I think I was talking to someone this week and I said, why don't you actually ask people who are your customers how they like to communicate with you as a start? And that might give you the answer on how you communicate with new prospective customers as to where they're going and what they're looking at. So I think it's well worth doing it because I know for a fact over time, the way I communicate has changed as well. Like there are things that I used to use that I don't use now. And there are things that I use now that I never used to use. So I think understanding that really helps you get to the right people on a channel that they are using and are comfortable using as well. So one final comment on this, which we're of course going to build on in coming episodes. We've talked about it before. It's one of the A words and it's attribution. And so this all leads to, as you just said, even asking customers because you can set up the best attribution reports in the world, but if you actually haven't got all the inputs giving you that information, then the attribution will be skewed as well. And this is often what we see. They've only connected their Facebook account into HubSpot. They haven't taken into account other inputs and therefore attribution is misleading. All right, on to our quick shots of the week. And here are a quick few things of interest. First one being, you can now customize the right side behind CRM records. Now, remember, this has been one of those things that people have asked us many a time over the last number of years, but now we can finally do it. Also, what I found interesting is that starting on the 21st of September, HubSpot or HubSpot Pro accounts, we're required to set up two-factor authentication before logging into accounts for security purposes. So. Don't wait till the 21st of September. I'd start doing this now and encouraging people on your teams to do that as well. And again, I think this is this whole 
piece around securing data and making sure that people are safe. Good to see a continued push to better security because as we know, there's lots of phishing attempts out there and we will actually return to that topic later in the show. And finally, there's improved property history for data sync changes where property history now actually shows you the actual data sync app's name and what was responsible for those changes. So I think that's another good improvement if you are syncing data around from HubSpot. All right, on to our marketing feature of the week, Craig. HubSpot form options and always creating contacts for new email addresses. Now, why would we do that? Why would we set this option on? This is all around this setting. I've got screenshots in the show notes. So make sure you subscribe, hubshots.com slash subscribe. You get all the show notes in your inbox every week. If you're watching this on YouTube, then of course you're seeing this on your screen. This option, it's on the settings tab on a form, a normal embedded form. And it says always create contact for new email address. This is such a confusing option for most people. I'm going to try and explain it in 30 seconds. However, if you don't fully grasp it, we've recorded basically a whole separate video on this, which goes for about four minutes and walks through a use case in a bit more detail. But it is simply this, because you would come to this and you say, oh, always create contact for new email address. Well, of course we'd do that. Why wouldn't we do that? Here's the reason why. Think about this. Someone has come to your site, they've filled out a form, maybe a contact page in a browser session. They've used their work email address. They come back later uh, the next week to the same page, same browser. And so it pre-fills their details, let's say. And this time they fill it out with their personal address. Same person, two different email addresses. Now, I've made that a bit simpler because actually if you had this on, it wouldn't have pre-filled the form. Just put that aside for now. Just assume that HubSpot has used cookies to recognize who you are and knows who you are when you've come back to that form. And so then the question is, Well, I've used a different email address and let's assume that email isn't in your portal yet. Use the new email address. What do you want it to do? Do you want it to create a second contact in your portal or do you want it to just update the existing contact because it knows who you are, knows about your business email? Will it add that? And so that's the question. Which way should you go? Is it one contact or two? We've covered this in a previous show. This time, I've just expanded on it, given a little bit more clarity because I know people were confused by it. Plus, we've got a whole video on it. And so hopefully that makes things clearer. If not, then please uh, add a comment and we'll come back and provide further clarity on it. But that's it. I think it's one of the most confusing options in HubSpot. It catches people out and hopefully that helps navigate it. It certainly does, Craig. And I have a real life example of one of our customers that they often talk to CMOs of businesses, but the actual filling out of forms get done by the executive assistants. And so they fill out these forms for multiple people. And we found in HubSpot, there were contact records that had been overwritten with new email addresses. And we're like, hang on, the first name is, and last name is the same, but the emails changed, but it belongs to another person. What do we do? Why is this happening? And it's because of this. So just be aware, understanding the purpose of the form. So just understanding in this instance with this business, because they're dealing a lot with uh, executive assistants that are filling out forms on behalf of people or could be on behalf of a team, they really need to make sure that the form has this option checked on so that it does do that 
in that instance. So well worth it. This um, option, I think, used to be called the Obey Cookie Settings or something like that. It was something, yeah, it was something different. Cookie. Correct. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Exceptions to this case are where that page is used by multiple people. So often, if there's a shared computer and multiple people are going to it and filling out forms, yeah, you'd tick it on because you don't want that overriding the one contact. All right, now on to our sales feature of the week, and this is using the prospects tool. Now, this is sometimes a bit hidden, and if you are used to using the account-based marketing tools in HubSpot, you might be more familiar with it. If you can't find it, use the global search bar at the top and type in prospects, and you will find it like that. So what we want to do here is help you understand, A, why it's important, and B, how to use it as a start, right? There can be more advanced use cases as you start using account-based marketing. But as a start, the two things you want to do, you want to be able to find prospects. So these are people that have landed on your site and HubSpot is tracking it in the prospects tool. And the second thing is you want to be able to turn on notifications. So you want to get notified when prospects visit your site. So there's two things you need to do. Now we've given you screenshots at the minimum. What will happen in the prospects tool is it'll try to weed out internet service providers. But you can do other things like in the example, we've said, we just want to see everything that's from Australia. And because I'm interested in automotive and building materials, I just wanted to see who are those businesses that in those industry categories that are visited. And you can see when the last time they visited, the number of pages they've viewed, the number of visitors from that business. The source is actually quite interesting. You can see some of them have come from other campaigns, social media, organic search, paid search. So that's another good way to understand what's going on. So that's the first thing. Now, the next thing you'll probably notice is you will see a preview button and then it'll have a tick beside it, which means it is in HubSpot as a company. If it's not, it'll give you the option to add it into that as a company, which will be owned by you. So just be aware that if you're adding companies in this way and you're thinking, I'm going to assign this to another salesperson, it's actually going to be in your name. So you need to understand or you need to go back and reassign that company record to the actual salesperson or the person who you want to own that company for the outreach. So that's one. The next thing you want to do is turn on the prospect notifications and that's under the actions button on the top right-hand side on the prospects tool. And if you click manage notifications, you'll get taken down and you can say how often you want the notifications. Is it real time? Is it a a summary at the end of the day? and how often you want that to happen. So a really good place to manage that and to get insight to understanding who is visiting the site. A really good uh, way people have used this is, for example, we've got customers that submit tenders and then they realize, okay, we want to follow, say, this particular government organization that we're submitting the tender for. So they follow that then they know when they start visiting the site to verify tender details, they know that they're on the website as an indicator that their tender is progressing and things are happening. So a really good tool to use in a business process when you're talking to other businesses about selling your services and your products. Just a, a more of a question slash comment on this because I think when we've discussed it before, I'm not a big user of this and neither are our clients. So I, I think I've learned a lot about this from you over the last year or two, uh, Ian. But we've found it's hit and miss. So for some of our clients, it's totally useless. Just like lots of noise, not particularly useful. But then for others, yeah. And in particular, using the date range, last seen. And as you said, 
in that example relating maybe to a tender application, but then in our case relating to a campaign running. And so then just narrowing down, oh, there was a jump in this company during this campaign, maybe reach out to them, whereas otherwise it might have just been noise. And then, of course, there is actual noise. We often find educational institutions like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, this university is interested. No, it was probably that they were all just visiting one of your blog posts and it's a bunch of students who are doing the research about something. So you've got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the pitfall of this. If you have a large blog, especially if it's not. So one of our customers had a lot of blog posts, but their business had gone more from like a B2C to a B2B. And so they were still getting a lot of traffic. Mm. And so we did see a lot of that happen. But now that we've culled all of that, we're seeing better things in the prospects tool. So well worth understanding that. All right. The HubSpot service feature of the week, dealing with tickets created from forward dead emails now why would we want to turn this option on or off greg all right again got a screenshot in the show notes but for listeners who maybe aren't seeing that this is an option so that if a conversation comes into the inbox and then creates a ticket that's normally where you're you're interested in this ending up but comes in it's maybe it's been forwarded by someone into the conversations inbox it's like okay do we want to respond to the person that forwarded it or to the original person who sent the original request. So I'll give you an example. Maybe people in your team receive something from a client to their personal work address and then they forward it on to the generic support at inbox. So then it turns up in the conversations inbox. It's like, oh, do I actually want to be replying to the team member or do I want to reply to the original person, the original client that it was forwarded on from? So depending on which one you want, you can use this setting. And so even in our agency, you know, we have a bunch of websites, a bunch of different brands. For direct clients, we turn this off because we only want to be talking to the client often. And we have this case, the client, our client might be working with another agency and they forward on something from their agency to us to answer. We don't want to be replying back to the original agency. We want to reply back to our clients. So you've got to be careful for that. And then in other cases, maybe support on some of our consumer Areas we're just forwarding on into the generic inbox. So then the forwarding saves us a lot of time instead of replying to team members, it's actually replying, you know, it's setting up the ticket. So they're the scenarios and you can get to it. It's a bit of a roundabout way, which is why we've got a screenshot for this. You go into your inbox settings and then uh, the actual inbox and then the channel and then the configuration and then you can choose this option. I think inboxes are very confusing, really, the interface getting into things, but uh, be that as may, that's why we're chatting about it here. So I think that's really useful. And so then the question, and you and I were chatting about this earlier, what's if you've actually got both scenarios? You're getting team members forwarding stuff in, but then you've also got clients. And you made the good point, and I think this is right. It might be worth setting up two conversations inboxes. You kind of have an internal one that staff might forward stuff to where you have this turned on and then others from clients, a client-facing one, which you have it turned off. So there's the options. You know, you choose what's right and wrong for your particular scenario, but well worth knowing about. I think this is a great little feature and it's saved us a lot of time just for ourselves. All right, onto our hotspot workflow feature of the week. And this is workflow unenrollment and suppression. And this is one of those things that are very, it's very rarely talked about, but it's actually super important. And as we had conversations this week with customers, Craig, you and me, It came to the forefront of how do we best manage this. So we're going to just talk about unenrollment and suppression and the importance of it and how to do it well. 
Yeah, you're right. This is on the settings tab for workflows and it's on all types of workflows, contacts, deals, tickets, etc. which I just mentioned because that's different to goals. Goals are a contact workflow only item. But on enrollment, we often build suppression lists. We did a whole show, episode 280, where we talked about building lists and part of that was about suppression lists. And the great thing about this is you can confidently enroll people into a workflow based on quite easy to manage criteria and then just let the unenrollment take out anyone it doesn't apply to. So it's, it's kind of a fail-safe, gets anyone out that you don't want in there, plus just removes people that you'd want to suppress anyway, maybe people that have unsubscribed or uh, they're already customers in a, you know, in a general nurture, all that kind of stuff. So you can build them however you like. Of course, if someone had unsubscribed, HubSpot wouldn't send them the email anyway, but this is just a good way to, to keep them out and avoid noise of uh, multiple people going through. So that's why it's quite useful when to use them. And this is what we've been chatting about with clients. Part of the problem with complexity in workflows arises when people use a combination of negative criteria with positive criteria. So I'll tell you what I mean. Positive might be, is a member of, is part of this. Negative might be, is not, or does not contain. And when you have entry criteria into a workflow that has a combination of is this but is not that, it can be confusing. So this might be a case where you go, look, I'll try to keep it simple on the entry criteria and then I'll have unenrollment criteria based on the negatives to make sure we catch all those things to make sure it's not that. So it can be used to improve the maintenance of your workflows to take confusion out. It may or may not, you've got to get the balance right. The other benefit of unenrollment is that it can happen throughout the workflow. So it's not necessarily straight away, but it could be. Someone gets enrolled, the unenrollment might take them out straight away, but it might take them out later. Maybe they've completed a few things. For example, they send a few emails, they book a demo, right, maybe take them out. Or the deals progress to a certain area, take them out, that kind of thing. You might use a goal for that as well, but that's just some examples. So that's the unenrollment criteria. Little known, I feel. People don't really know or don't use it uh, to full effect. Maybe some ideas to use there. So, Craig, here's an example potentially. Let's say there are welcome emails that get triggered when people get added into HubSpot because they filled out a form, for example. Now, if someone adds, they end up in HubSpot and let's say their contact is being synced because the, someone on the team sent an email and they don't want any communication to go out until there is that implied consent, that would be a good one to have in the global suppression list, right? Which means that nothing will get triggered to those individuals when they end up in HubSpot. Right. So you're saying your suppression list might be based on consent, and therefore if consent has not yet been granted, then they're suppressed. Correct. Suppression list, yeah. They haven't granted yeah. consent. That's great. And then you just add that to all workflows, all emails that go out, you can just add that yes. as a suppression list. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, can I say one more thing? I really like lists. We've had a whole episode on lists. I'd love it if you could create lists of deals, deals. tickets, <laughs> things. Uh, at the moment, you can only create lists of contacts Contacts and companies, and companies yes. I'd love to be create a list of, well, any object actually. That's right. There's a wish from us. All right. On to our insight of the week, Craig. 
And this is the reliance on paid traffic. And this is something we've spoken about on previous shows, I'm pretty sure. Why we wanted to highlight it is that it can be stressful if you rely on paid traffic as your single source of leads, which then become customers. And we've got a screenshot in here from a portal that we work on. And it shows that a bulk of the contacts, over 75% are from paid sources, right? So paid search, paid social. And the reliance on that is so high that it just takes something to go wrong for the business to be in trouble, especially if there's a long lead time for payment, for example. So the sales cycle might be relatively quick, but because they might be doing something that doesn't get delivered or doesn't require payment at a later date, this can also cause a problem. So what we wanted to highlight is that it's important to, while the times are good and you are getting paid traffic and you are getting paid leads, is to evaluate and build assets like content, build your pillar pages, build your videos, build your assets so you can attract the right people to your business. Now, they might not be ready to buy straight away, but at least you're attracting the right people into HubSpot. And I think you can also end up living in this feast of famine world where you're in a constant form of stress or or bliss, right? And and also not understanding what can affect it. And we know for a fact because we run, you know, you and um, me are like Craig, we have run so many ads campaigns and the changes that happen on Google, for example, you know, it changes so rapidly and things take time that you can't, it's it not like it used to be where you could turn the switch on and it would work straight away. It takes time to learn. It takes time to evaluate. It takes time to work things out. And so we have to give it time for it to work. So just wanted to highlight that there are all other alternatives, right? So if you're doing a purely digital process here and in terms of how you get people into your business, what I want to help you understand is that where are the other places that people are finding you? So for example, we deal with a lot of builders. Often it comes back to us that their street signage or signage on a site that they're building on is a really great source of uh, leads. So having the right contact or QR code on that banner brings people in because people drive by, they go, I really like how that house looks. I need to talk to these guys. So that's one. The other thing is you might actually have a physical location. Now, people might not visit that location, but the fact that people drive by and they see a sign might be a memory imprint to actually do something with you. So don't ever discount the fact that, oh, I only have a small office, so it's only here. You just never know. It's like I remember when we had our location in Norwest, for example, people used to always come because they had to come to the lift and they had to look at a board full of business names before they go in the lift because most people were like, where is that business? Now, that board could seem insignificant, but people scanning that could go, oh, okay, there are these kinds of businesses and I might want to go and actually talk to those people. So never discount these other practical ways that you can help people. And I remember when I had my car and it had branding on it, people would recognize it. And then sometimes they'd come up to me and sometimes they'd even say, like when I met them at events, they're like, oh, I've seen your cars around. Now, I only had one car at the time, but they thought that there were many around because they often saw me mm. in transit somewhere, off to a customer or going home or coming to work. And it was really interesting to see people's observation. And sometimes you think, oh, they don't realize, 
but it's actually they're seeing things over and over again and they go, oh, I know that person. And they build a familiarity. It's like when they meet me, they're like, oh, I know you. I see your car around. <laughs> so it's really fascinating. And I think I want to encourage people, do and think about other things where you can diversify your traffic into your business. Well said. All right, on to reporting, Craig. Just wanted to let uh, viewers and listeners know we've started a series on the HubSpot Custom Report Builder. So uh, we're just getting these produced now, recorded a bunch of them this week. They start with the basics and, and in fact, they start with the simplest report possible, I think, that you can possibly make, which is a contact report, contacts by month. So I'll guide you through that. Then in the second one, I look at the new date part feature. Uh, which is just rolled out recently, actually. It's really nice, really handy for looking at seasonality trends. Then the third video, we look at the breakdown, how you can do breakdown in reports. So very simple stuff. But I know a lot of people, when we, a lot of our customers, they're like, oh, customer report builder. Look, I've got started, but I got lost. So these videos were people that are just getting started and they will get more complex over the coming months. So check them out. We're just getting thumbnails and final production done. They'll be up on the channel by the time this show is published. And if you are listening and are not on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Our goal is to hit a thousand subscribers. So one of our things, and we're putting it out there, Craig, is that we want to reach a thousand subscribers because that does allow us to do different things. And this is just another channel that we're using to reach more people. So if you do listen to the show and you haven't gone to YouTube, we'd love if you could help us out by going to YouTube and subscribing to the channel. Now, Craig... Tell me the face palm of the week. All right. I just wanted to share this. I did a really dumb thing earlier this week. Um, I've got a screenshot. I got this spam message. I actually clicked the link. When you look at that, the screenshot, you're going, oh, how do you fall for that? It's got everything. Everything about it says. It's been done pretty well, I have to say. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'd been in meetings all day. And so then at the end, I was like, oh, quickly got to go through my notifications and things like that. Oh. So I was tired as well. And then I was like, oh, because I'd been expecting a delivery that day from Australia Post, right? And here's my point. I think that's what got me. I was like, oh, Mr. Package didn't even look at it. I was expecting this. And that just got the timing right, came through. So I clicked. And so that's a problem with priming when you prime thing. Now, I just want to say thanks, Chrome. Saved me. Look, alerted me and I didn't actually go to the site. So that's good. Ends well. But what's the learning from this? Well, Here's the thing I thought, when I'm tired and at the end of the day and primed to find something or look for something or expect for something, I just saw it there. I looked right past all the glaring, you know, scare me uh, things about it and it tricked me. And, well, you know, I'd, maybe I'm a bit gullible. I don't know. But I think I'm pretty savvy with these security things. And that's why we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, two-factor authentication coming in and all this kind of stuff. We've got to be more secure because as dumb as that scam message was, there's much smarter ones. They're getting much smarter. But I was thinking about attribution and how a key part that we do with clients is digging into attribution reports for insights. And the problem with when you're primed to look for something is that you find it. There's almost a confirmation bias of sorts as well actually there. So it was just a reminder to me, if I'm actually looking for insights and things, I've got to go in probably fresh when I'm in the morning, had my coffee, thinking clearly, being objective, playing devil's advocate on results, thinking through, is it really showing this or is it something else rather than just following my own narrative and falling down a path that might not be correct. So a little reminder to me and perhaps to listeners as well. 
And listeners, I just want to encourage you, you can clearly see it's not other people. It's also us that often can get caught to this. And I encourage you, if you've got older, younger people in your family, is to actually teach them how to recognize that. So one of the things we have done in my family is like my mum or even the boys, they will often say, if they see something and they think, they ask the question and they'll send me a screenshot of it and I'll just say, no, don't do that or you shouldn't. I'm glad you didn't do anything. Just delete it, right? That's, that's generally what I say, delete it. It's got nothing to do. So educate others around you because it'll save them so much of hassle. So share the good news, I say. That reminds me, there's something else I will go back and put in the show notes, but uh, we use Cloudflare DNS for family yes. settings to use that as well. Yes, you mentioned and so yeah. I use that too. Correct. So it's actually another form of protection, uh, just uh, very quickly what it does. Your DNS resolver is basically set to a Cloudflare server that knows about malware sites and it'll even stop you visiting them just by being your DNS resolver. All right. The quote of the week, Craig? Oh, you can read this. This is a good one. This is by Perry Marshall, and he wrote The Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords, How to Access 100 Million People in 10 Minutes. So the quote goes, What's the difference between a novice airplane pilot and a veteran? Ask any expert and they'll tell you. A beginner relies on sight and gut feel, while an experienced professional relies on the instruments. So I just want to encourage people. We have the instrumentation, right? Let's be those veteran pilots that use instrumentation and not rely on our sight and gut feel to get things done. And following on from that, we have some HubSpot Academy training, which is reporting in HubSpot. So it covers the approaches to reporting and dives into the tools well worth doing. And I think this is an area where a lot of people need help and more people will ask for reports as businesses grow, expand, and even as teams grow and expand. So it's well worth your understanding how reporting works, and how to create the reports. All right, finally, do you need help with your HubSpot portal? We have a HubSpot quick check service that has been popular with companies that we've been doing. So we re- it really helps you understand what parts of HubSpot are you using and what you're not, what you should be, what are the best practices, uh, naming, workflow forms, landing pages, etc. Are there ways that you're using HubSpot that you're concerned about that you need addressed? We can help you with that on the call. Are you using efficient processes? Are you qualifying new leads? Are you creating tickets from conversations? Are you managing your marketing contacts well? These are some of the things we'll look at. Another reason you might want to do this is you've got an upcoming renewal and you want to understand, am I using the right tools or should I be upgrading or downgrading as appropriate? And these are the kind of questions we can do. This is a 90-minute Zoom call with Craig and myself and we will go through it on the call with you and we go through our 50 point checklist with you through your portal so you can gain a high level understanding of how you're using your portal and if you're interested go to hubshots.com and fill out the quick check audit or subscribe to these show notes and you'll get a link to it and you can click the link and get the get the quick check thank you again to listeners thank you for leaving reviews and thank you for connecting with me on linkedin And if you want to connect with Craig, subscribe to the show notes and then reply to that. And Craig will surely reply to you through the show notes. And if you do have any questions, please put in the comments on YouTube or on Instagram or reply to the show notes and we will get back to you. Well, Craig, until next week. Catch you later, Ian. 
Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips, and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.